It's Pete McMurray in the Skyline Studios. Adam Carolla was defending his friend Jimmy Kimmel this week on his podcast, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have him on today. Also, he's a great guest. He has another new book entitled I'm Your Emotional Support Animal, Navigating Our All-Woke, No-Joke Culture. It is Adam Carolla. How are you, Adam? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. First, uh, I, I uh, listened to your podcast this week about you defending uh, Jimmy. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, I just think things have gotten out of hand with the cancel culture. Uh, comedians traditionally are supposed to kind of push the boundaries. Uh, and, and also, uh, you know, going back and finding stuff from 20 years ago or 20-plus years ago, it's sort of, uh, you know, this notion of like, oh, unearthed footage or newly unearthed. It's not unearthed. It's, it's Saturday Night Live and Jimmy Fallon or it's the man show, you know. Right. They've sold 200,000 box sets of the man show. You didn't just find something. It aired. Um, so all and, and just in general, to me, this sort of lunacy of finding everything everywhere, uh, you know, I'll leave Jimmy Kimmel out of it for now, and I'll say Jimmy Fallon. I don't know Jimmy Fallon. Uh, in my impression, my interpretation is Jimmy Fallon was doing an impression of Chris Rock. He wasn't doing blackface. He was doing Chris Rock. When I was 18, I dressed up as Mr. T. I wasn't doing blackface. I was dressing up as Mr. T. It's a, you know, we, there's enough out there. We have enough problems, real problems out there to deal with without conjuring up fake problems. Well, I feel like people are digging this stuff up. They're looking for it now. They're making a conscious effort so that person that finds it, they have their 15 minutes of fame. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I don't even know who that person is, honestly. Like, I, 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 I didn't even give them 10 seconds of fame because I don't even know who they are. But it's a weird schadenfreude of a... Did we lose him? Us oh, there he is. Okay. Sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, I lost it's, you for a second. It's, it's, I, I, I said it's us being ugly. It's us at our worst. It's kind of humans at their weakest. Right. Well, Jimmy Fallon apologized right away at the president of the NAACP on The Tonight Show, Jimmy Kimmel, who took the rest of the summer off. He's like, you know what, I'm going to spend time with my family. Then this surfaces, and then he has to release a statement. But the apology isn't enough for people. When they say, hey, this was 20 years ago, it was a comedy sketch, I apologize, I've learned since then, it's been 20 years. But people aren't accepting that. How come? Well, because I think they, well, first off, they're not even upset in the first place. Nobody really cares. I mean, let's, let's not mistake this for people who really care. You, you couldn't find someone who really cares. They pretend to care. I mean, let's really be honest. Does anyone really care? I couldn't find a human being that really cared about a comedy sketch that's 20 years old. From, by the way, people that have proven themselves to be good citizens, taxpayers, family men, community-oriented, for the love of Christ. Does anyone really care? So they don't really care. So they're just going off trying to get their pound of flesh. Look, when you, when you don't have any power in life, if you can get someone to apologize, yeah. then that's your power, right? Yeah. 
That's absolutely it. You're right. I mean, we now live, it's called the cancel culture, where an apology isn't enough. We uh, we have these social media trolls now who want their 15 minutes of fame or they want these celebrities to apologize. I can't imagine. I'm on the bottom rung of the ladder, local radio and TV. I get threatening emails, texts, social media messages. I can't believe what it's like being Jimmy Kimmel or even you on a uh, national stage. Well, you know, you have to kind it, of, it, 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 it's kind of how you present yourself. Um, for me, my, my policies, I don't really apologize. So I get sort of left alone because, again, these people, they're like, they're like terrorists who take hostages, you know. Yeah. And if you negotiate with them, then they'll take more hostages. And I don't negotiate with them. So I, I tend to feel it less than guys like Jimmy and also, you know, Fallon and people like that. But also, I haven't announced I'm down with the cause. Like, what, what they love to do is they love to find people who've announced they're down with the cause and then go drum up stuff from their past and sort of, you know, perp walk them through society. Right. So. That's all right. You remember, remember, uh, I think it was James Franco, right? He got me too a couple of years ago. Yep. You know what caused him to get me too? What was it? He was walking the red carpet with like, like a pin on his suit that said like Time's Up or Me Too or something. And somebody saw that he was supporting the cause and then went after him. Oh jeez, yeah. So, uh, so the the, it, the cause will eventually get to its supporters as well. So my feeling is, is I'm not down with the cause. <laughs> yes, I think I understand that. We're talking with Adam Carolla. Um, people, uh, we're live on Facebook right now, and someone just asked a question. This is from Scott. If a tweet from 20 years ago, I don't think Twitter was around 20 years ago, so let's say a tweet from 10 years ago, the same as if you said something uh, that upset someone 10 years ago, is it the same as a video that surfaced? Is that the same thing? I mean, I don't, you even, know, <laughs> for, say for them, loud, I don't even understand it. Uh, you know, <laughs> there are no rules. The rules are kind of... Uh, a video's good, audio's good, uh, something in text or written form is worse because it's not physically the person saying it. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's basically whatever they can take and share and throw in people's face and is, is what they'll use. I don't know who these people are. I'm not sure why it feels satisfying or satiating yep. to them. Uh, my feeling is, is I want to go do things in my life, and and I, I got a bunch of stuff I want to do. I, it, it, humiliate strangers or celebrities is not not on my list, and it it's it's not on my list. Not because I'm a great guy. I'm I'm selfish. I want to make documentaries. <laughs> I want to go race a car. Right. I want to sell a book. I want to write a book. I don't want to waste time shaming rich people i don't understand why or when it happened why is everybody so angry when did we become so angry as a society when did that happen Uh, you know it's probably a loss i mean it's probably about 30 things it's you know it's probably 
energy drinks and video games and it's a whole, you know, news cycle that never leaves your phone. And I think it's an instant gratification thing. I think I I think the more you can get, the faster you can get it, the less happy you are. So when I was a kid, going out to dinner was a big deal. My kids, Grubhub, stuff brought to the house, not a big deal. Like, they're not as satisfied with it yeah. as, as I was. You know what I mean? Yep. And I, I, think, I think there's an agitation that comes in instant gratification. Remember, when I was a kid, going to McDonald's was a big, exciting thing. It was a big you know, deal. After, oh, yeah. Right. After a football game, you'd go to McDonald's if you won. The coach is buying. Like, oh, big deal. Right? Now, that's a zero burger. So you've turned a bunch of big deals into a bunch of zeros. You've turned a bunch of Big Macs into a bunch of no Macs. And... <laughs> and 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 now and now people are agitated. <laughs> yes, uh, I can see that because yeah, when we were growing up, things were much different than they are today. Yes, we're talking with Adam Carolla. The book is entitled "I'm Your Emotional Support Animal: Navigating Our All Woke No Joke Culture." What is this book about? What do you address? Uh, everything you're seeing in society, everything we're talking about, all the. All of all of where we're at, and all of what we're doing, and all of where we're heading is all, is is what's in there. That's basically why I wrote this this book. All the all the things you hear on the news, and all the uh, this the stuff we've just been talking about, basically. Right. Oh, along along with a lot of humor, because I always want to make I always want to make it funny. Of course, you know, with the uh, the Black Lives Movement um, happening right now, do you talk to your kids about that? And what do you say to your kids? You have twin; they're fourteen now, right? They're the same age as my son. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You have a boy and a yeah, girl. I don't. Right. Okay. Um, no, I don't have. I, I. One of my policies is I don't like. I. My childhood was ruined because I had a kind of hippie mom that was constantly sort of telling me meat is murder and the ozone's getting burnt off and we're going to have, you know, we're going to be out of fossil fuel and all this sort of, you know, white bread is white death, you know. And it was like, and it kind of ruined my childhood because I sort of bummed out a lot about the future. Sure. And my thing is, is I let my kids be kids. They can watch the news. They can find out what they find out. But I don't have to sit down and talk to them and go full Greta Thunberg on them. You know, my thing is, I think it's like, you know, you're 14. If you're going to be, you'll have the weight of the world on your shoulders in a few years. Just go, go ahead and enjoy yourself for another right. 10 minutes. For another 10 minutes, have some fun. Why do, why do right. we put so much pressure on our kids nowadays? That is so funny. You're right. Let the kids gradually figure it out. And if they have some questions, come and ask me. No one does that anymore. Yeah. No, I, 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 that's, that's kind of my thing. I, I, everyone, I grew up, you know, my parents were pretty hands off. Uh, my friends and I just hung out, sort of figured things out and, uh, and it worked fine. Like, I, I mean, I, yes, this thing where you have to sit down and educate everyone and everyone has to have an open dialogue and an honest dialogue about whatever. First off, where does it end? 
You know what I mean? Do, yep. I, do I keep going? Do I get into apartheid? Do I get into uh, terrorist groups like Boko Haram? Do I get into like where what with the evils of the world? Do we keep do we keep going? Is is my point? Like where's the where's the cutoff for me explaining them uh, what a what a cesspool we live in? Are we raising snowflakes? Because when I look at kids today, I mean, when we were kids, we could leave the house and our parents would trust us to come home by dinner time. Or if you went out after dinner, the streetlights come on, you got to go home. Nowadays, you got the app, you got Life 360, you're watching your kid go this way. Who's he hanging out with? He said he was going to uh, Henry's house and now he's at the lake. I mean, kids are tracked everywhere nowadays. You, There's no trust. Yeah. Um, I don't track my kids, but, um, but, but I'm not that, I'm not that consumed with my kids. You know what I mean? Like they're okay, but I I don't build my world around my kids. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're fine. Uh, like it's good. I'm, I'm glad I have kids and they're good citizens they don't have to be great citizens they, they can just be good you know that'll that'll be enough like i i think it's kind of narcissistic to make your kid your world you know and 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 by the way i don't you know i don't think they're here to change the world i think they're here to to contribute yep. in their own small way mm-hmm and the parents that say that their kids are going to change the world, isn't that a little bit too much pressure on a teenager? Yeah, I mean, I hope I hope my kids get into a community college. That's about <laughs> where the bar set for the Corolla twins. That's nice. We're the same way at the McMurray house, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, we didn't, my wife wasn't, my, my wife didn't go to college and I didn't go to college either, so I don't know what our our expectations are, you know, I was a former carpenter and I learned a skill and I was happy to possess a skill. And I think that's important. And I would be happy to pass that along to any young person, like have a skill, be able to do something tangibly, you know, be able to put things together. A lot of what we're talking about, a lot of the unrest and sort of mental instability and everything we're kind of doing right now, a lot of it, I believe, is a product of not getting out, getting in the garage, getting your hands dirty, firing up a tool, you know, building a treehouse or a doghouse with your son and daughter. You know, I I think a lot of it is a byproduct of, of of not really living in a physical, tangible world. Oh, yeah, I agree 100%. My my father was an engineer at Caterpillar, and he did everything himself, and he tried to teach us. I can't fix anything to save my life, but I'll at least try, and then when I fail, I'll take it somewhere. But I completely understand what you're talking about. So you graduated from high school, went into construction. How did you get into entertainment? Um, I I got out of high school. I had no... I was sort of rudderless. I just kind of drifted onto a construction site and worked as a laborer. Like I worked like you would work if you were, uh, came here from Mexico and needed to just get, get work. You know what I mean? Like seven bucks an hour. Um, so eventually I became a carpenter because 
you know, carpenter pays better than, than labor. Right. At some point, I, I realized that it's going to be a long life. The carpentry, construction, it was rough work. It was tough work. It was dirty work. Um, it didn't pay. I, and I like cars, and I wanted a, I, I wanted one day to have a sports car or even a race car or own my own home. And I knew all that was going to be tough as a carpenter. So I, I, I just thought to myself when I was in my early 20s, you know, what else do you do? What else can you do? What should you do? Uh, what other, what other skill set do you possess? And, and the answer to me was uh, I, I have a sense of humor. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, now it's time to see, see what you can do with that. Uh, I didn't know what I could do with it. I didn't know what that meant, stand-up. Uh, writing sketches. I, I didn't know what it meant, but I just started pursuing comedy. I started taking improv classes and, and groundlings classes and, and, and doing, doing open mics and, and anything I could do. And, you know, eight, eight years later, I hadn't gotten anywhere, but I was, I, I, I had honed my craft. I yep. just didn't get, I didn't have got paid. So at a certain point, I, I was working as a boxing instructor, and uh, and and there was a boxing match coming up in the radio, and it was uh, Jimmy Kimmel was going to was going to fight uh, Michael the maintenance man. Jimmy was working as a as a as on the local radio station as a sports guy. Kevin and Bean, right? And uh, yeah, I'm Kevin and Bean. Yep, and I said, yeah, uh, I, I was listening to him on the radio. I said. Uh, I, I, you're having a boxing match. I teach boxing. I want to find out about the radio. And I, I volunteered to teach him to box. And I didn't volunteer to teach Jimmy. I just volunteered to teach either one of them to box. And I ended up with Jimmy. And Jimmy and I became fast friends. And I basically just talked him into letting me check out the radio to see what I could do on the radio. And he, he immediately knew I was funny. And so he worked to try to get me on Kevin and Bean. And, and he did. And, and then it just took off. You know, it goes back to finding your skill. What is your skill? What do you do best? And just hone that craft and run with it. Yeah. I, I, I was realistic. I was like, you're a carpenter. That's a skill. Yep. And you have a sense of humor. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a skill. Okay. Although one of them is tangible. And the other one was just sort of ethereal. It's kind of in the air, you know? Right. I like that. And by the way, since the last time we spoke, I saw, I finally saw the movie uh, Ford versus Ferrari. What a great movie. It's so good. I know you're the racing guy, and you said, just watch the movie, enjoy it. Christian Bale, Matt Damon, they were so good in this movie. It was wonderful. Yeah. And uh, I made the doc, The 24-Hour War, which is on Netflix if you're, anyone in your audience wants to see it. So I've made the 24-hour war, which is Ford versus Ferrari, before before that. So um, it's kind of interesting that we had this inclination to make a doc about that story, and then the, they made the movie a year later or two years later. Right. Did you Did you catch up on any documentaries during the pandemic when you were home grounded? Uh, I watch, uh, the last dance, the whole, uh, Michael Jordan thing. I enjoyed that. Um, I, 
I was proud to say that we got. I we have three. I have three docs on Netflix right now. I have uh, the Twenty Four Hour War, okay. which is Ford v Ferrari. I have uh, Uppity, the first black driver at Indy, the Willie T. Ribs story. Uh, also, you know, all the Bubba Wallace NASCAR business. Uh, he was trying to drive NASCAR in the 70s. Um, and uh, and uh, the, oh, oh, Shelby American, uh, the Carol Shelby story. So um, if your listeners want to check out any of those docs, they're, they're available on Netflix. And if you want the Blu-ray, you can go to my website, which is chassis, C-H-A-S-S-Y, dot com. T-shirts, posters, Blu-ray, all that junk. Do you, do you work on cars? Is that a hobby? Because my neighbor does that. My neighbor, uh, Joe, works on cars. That's his thing. Do you work on cars? Uh, yeah, I do. I have a lot of race cars, and I have to maintain those race cars and and i do i have mechanics who do a lot of it i i I do some i'm not really i don't do it like i used to do it i used to do it do a lot of it now i'm kind of busy so i i tend to work on work so i can make money so i can pay guys to work on my cars essentially but i have a shop and and mechanics uh, I've seen the place where you do the the podcast where you store some of your cars because I was there with Mr. Skin a few years ago. And uh, how many cars do you keep at that place? Not many were the were the uh, not many where the studio is, but next to the studio there's another building, and the, there's probably fifteen cars 15. over there. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, it's great to talk. Yeah, to you. they're all. They're all, all race cars, by the way. I love that. Adam, it's great to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the podcast. I uh, encourage people to go check it out. And, of course, the docs that he mentioned on uh, Netflix. And how many books do you have now? What number is this? Uh, this is number five. Wow. And three of those, three out of five have been bestsellers. Is that right? Uh, yeah, well, this one, it, it, it's really four out of five, although this one's a bestseller on Wall Street Journal and, like, USA Today and all that kind of stuff, but because of the politics of the New York Times, ah. this didn't make it. But this is this this outsold five books that made it on the New York <laughs> Times bestseller. It sold more units than five that have made it, that are on this list. So. Uh. Uh, you know, there's I'm uh, your emotional support animal navigating our all-woke, no-joke culture. It is Adam Kroll. Adam, have a great Sunday. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, man. He is uh, just the best. I love that guy.